Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. A trade deadline ending on Tuesday, November 3rd at 4 p.m. Eastern. And that's where we're going to start here on the GM Shuffle. Don't worry, lots of picks coming up. In fact, we've got some great games. Steelers and Ravens, seriously, I cannot wait for Sunday at 1 o'clock Eastern. What a great game that's going to be. Saints, Bears, Niners, Seahawks, and all the rest of it. But, Mike, trade deadline is always different in the NFL than it is in different sports. But for the Dallas Cowboys, a team that right now is a mess, they're making some moves here. They, they trade a veteran defensive end, Everson Griffin, to the Lions for a conditional pick. Multiple sources telling ESPN Dallas received a conditional sixth round pick in 2021 that could become a fifth rounder. They also released Don Terry Poe. So he's not exactly Edgar Allan Poe when it comes to a great mystery writer and cornerback Daryl Worley looking for ways to jumpstart this defense. Poe, seriously, he might have well have been locked in the cask of Amontillado. Like he, he's got nine tackles in seven starts. Quote the Raven, nevermore. The telltale heart is telling me this guy has been a disaster. A vested veteran who signed a two-year deal worth up to $10.5 million as a free agent. But the Cowboys are last in the league in run defense. They give up 178 yards a game on the ground. Your thoughts on the release of Poe and Worley and trading Griffin. Well, I mean, let's start with Poe and Worley. Both guys are vested veterans. And what that means, when they were on the roster the first week, uh, the Saturday before the opening game, they were vested. That meant their salaries were going to stay on the on board forever, that the Cowboys owed the players that money. So that was not going to go away. So when you release that player, when you release that player, you don't get any relief from that salary because the players will then take what we call their termination pay, which just means the rest of the money that they're owed for the season. So, you know, Poe got a, I think Poe got a million and a half to sign. I think Worley got somewhere close to a million. And they had game roster bonuses in it, which these go away. But the reality of it is, is that this is a deal that was more, it was not about the Cowboys saving cash. It was all about the Cowboys cleaning out their locker room. I think they they must know their locker room's a mess. And so they ship these two players who were not productive, who were not doing things. They get rid of those. The Griffin deal, to me, was they signed him late, you know, and they were willing to part with him whereas the the Lions, which clearly were willing to take on the salary. So the Lions pay $3.5 million and the Cowboys get a pick back. So they were able to really recruit the three and a half million. The other trades were just about, we're getting these guys out of our locker room. And so for Detroit, they get a pass rusher. They paid a fairly significant price at three and a half million to do it. They gave up a fifth or a sixth rounder. I'm not sure which one they did. But they get a guy that can play inside tackle. And the way Detroit's playing lately, AD, they they needed the the, the kid Romeo Arcara. I, I can't pronounce his last name. O K W A R A. I mean, he he's rushed really well the last week. He leads the team in sacks. He's been better than Flowers coming off the edge. So their pass rush is getting better. Griffin should help once he comes back after the COVID, COVID protocols. All right, so that's the news for defense that right now, historically bad. They've given up more than 200 rushing yards in three of the last four games. But the moment that I want to talk about when it comes to the Cowboys was Mike Nolan losing a battle with Tabasco. Take a listen. Obviously, the frustration for him as well is just, you know, look, when he misses them, Nobody, whoops, excuse me, I got something in my eye. Just had some Tabasco on my finger and it went in my eye. That wasn't good. Oh, never good. It's terrible. Jeez. 
Give me one second. I mean, I know everything's bigger in Texas, Mike, but apparently everything is spicier as well. Like, clearly, I likes his Tex-Mex and likes his Tabasco. But I, I was rolling in laughter the way he was like, oh, sorry, I just got a little Tabasco, Maya. Like, what are we doing? I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, it's like, are we shooting a Western here? Jesus Christ. I mean, calm down. I mean, I don't understand it. You know, it's funny, though. When I watch, like, I don't know. Getting rid of a couple players, like to me, when I watch this Cowboy defense, they're so disorganized. They have no edge support. They're not, they're not, they're, for lack of a better term, they're not coordinated. They're poorly coordinated. And you don't give up this many yards and this many points if you're coordinated. And Mike Nolan is one of the nicest guys in the league. Apparently, his wife is one of the greatest cookie makers of all time. I mean, and I say that sincerely. I mean, he's an engaged guy. You could just see in that in that little clip with Tabasco in his eye how kind he was. You know, and so I'm not attacking Mike Nolan, the person. I'm attacking Mike Nolan, the defense. And that defense, if if you're Jerry Jones and you're sitting there and you're probably paying him $2 million a year, whatever you're paying him, I mean, this is really, really bad. And and if you're McCarthy, you got to go fix it. I mean, you're the chief figure out officer, right? You're the guy who's supposed to know how to solve all the problems. And if you don't get your ass over there and fix it, who the hell's going to fix it? You know, and, and I don't think it's going to get fixed this week. I mean, they got our man this week. They're headed to Philadelphia with 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 Finucci coming to town. I mean, seriously, that's going to be a hard one, can't you? I love the I love the GIFs that we've gotten, or the GF, whatever they're called, of of, of Finucci walking down the street back in, in in two. Didn't you love that one? Oh, that the GIF right now of Don Finucci, yeah, because Ben Dinucci is the guy starting. So somebody tweeted that, and I said, well, as we call him here on the GM Shuffle, it's Don Finucci. So then immediately people started sending me the gifts of Finucci in the white suit before De Niro shoots him. Like, what, what a great character he was in Godfather Two. It really is. You know, I, I I'm going to write. I I'm really committed after after that came out I'm committed to writing a football book about I really want to write a football book about the you know the NFL about the Hall of Fame and who's really good and kind of rank the players and I almost feel like I should have a chapter a Godfather Hall of Fame like attach every single character to a name you know, and then, you know, obviously some Don Finucci, not because he's, you know, the kid from James Madison is the similar, has a similar name, but the reality of it is, it just feels right, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Godfather Hall of Fame, because you, honestly, you, you focus on the major characters, and of course, we all know Pacino's incredible, and so is Brando and De Niro playing a young Vito, but like so-called minor characters, like Michael V. Gazzo is Frankie Pentangeli. Ah, I never knew nothing with no Michael Corleone. Like he's, unbe- Lee Strasberg is Hyman Roth, Michael were bigger than U.S. Steel? Like, if you just did a book, Mike, with the supporting characters, it'd be a bestseller. It's the only movie. It is the only movie they'll never remake because the characters were perfect. Now, they can make remake three and three, if they remade three, I think all of three's problems were the the, the actors they chose. I really think that, that all, that I really do. But they'll never remake one or two. My grandson's kids won't. They'll still watch the original because that you can't. You, there's nobody better than Brando as God. There's nobody better than Pacino in that. There's nobody better. Somebody, my fa, my my uh, my daughter-in-law's uh, father, Mitch. He he sent me a picture of. Have you ever seen the picture of Sonny? At the toll plaza, in between cuts, in between breaks. Oh, with the, the blood everywhere because they got the squibs underneath. Yeah, it's amazing. And he's sitting there, and he's sitting there having a cigarette. It's so good. 
I'm with you on Godfather 3. It's not as bad as people think. If, if he just hadn't cast his daughter, like Sofia Coppola is just a disaster in the way, but I'm with you. The, the rise and fall, very King Lear-esque. You know, yeah, I, but he had Mr. Freeze in there. He he had the guy that played Mr. Freeze in there in Batman. Like that guy, there's no way. You know, he's not a mafia boss, that guy. I kept thinking he was going to have the freeze gun come out on me. Like seriously. <laughs> yeah, Uh I remember Arnold Schwarzenegger played Mr. Freeze. He was a disaster. All right, let's get back on the rails. Uh, some other moves here, Mike. You let me know which ones you want to touch. Bengals trading Carlos Dunlap, the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks defense has allowed the most yards of any team through six games in NFL history. Their pass rush has been a primary issue. Uh, Dunlap's a guy who's now been coming off the bench in the last three games, so he's happy to have a, a new home. The Jets are shutting down rumblings on their DT, Quinn Williams. He was a third overall pick in 2019. And the Falcons are also sitting their DE, Tack. McKinley. That's for tonight's game against the Panthers. And they say they're not going to trade quarterback Matt Ryan or Julio Jones. As you've said, you would think that they should trade those guys and rebuild. Your thoughts on any of those moves? Well, Dunlap's the interesting one, right? So Dunlap gets traded and and Seattle ends up giving a modest, I think they gave up a seventh round draft pick. And Seattle actually got Dunlap to do exactly what uh, Ndokwe did, take less money. I mean, this is how bad Dunlap wanted to get out of Cincinnati. He took a lesser contract and, uh, he gave up basically, you know, almost uh, $2 million to come there. And he wanted to leave. Now, Dunlap hasn't been the same player for the Bengals that he was the last two years. Last two years, he had 17 sacks. He had 42 pressures. I mean, he was rushing decent. He wasn't He wasn't the same guy he was three or four years ago. But he's going to give Seattle some help. And the fact that Seattle was able to convince him to take less money, that's a tribute to, you know, Rosenhaus's agent who basically knew that, that he needed for Seattle to absorb him on their team. They had a budget. This is the value uh, of the cap going way down, AD, because with the cap going down, teams can cry, we got no room. And if you want to play for that, You've got to be able to do that. So uh, for me, you know, I think this has potential to be a much better move if they get him to go back. I mean, the Quentin, these rumors about some of these trades are just rumors. I mean, you know, why would they trade Quentin Williams? He's one of their better young players. They have him on their contract for the next three years. Like, remember this, when you're looking at trades, it's contracts first, right? And, and you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, why would Dallas take on Fitzy's contract? They're trying to unload money. Why are they taking that on? And that's the problem with Atlanta. Atlanta is, as Uncle Junior eloquently says, so far out of the race, they actually think they're in the lead. You know, I mean, why they wouldn't trade Julio, why they wouldn't trade Matt Ryan, they're not going to turn this around in two weeks. They're not going to turn. Next year, they have so much debt cap trouble. It's a joke. They are going to have a hard time selling a coach on taking this job unless they give this coach an eight-year contract with no offset money. They're going to have to do something because you're walking into a really bad situation with an older team with not no cap flexibility and the cap going down. So all they're doing is making it harder to hire a coach. That's all they're doing. And one other thought here on the Cleveland Browns, wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. torn ACL. His season is officially over and here's what happened for those who missed it. He was injured in the Browns' second snap last Sunday, attempted chasing a Bengals defender following a Baker Mayfield interception after Mayfield admitted to feeling guilty for the underthrow that led to Beckham's injury. I'm probably going to beat myself up about that one for a long time. He's a guy who fights for this team, and in doing that, he got hurt. It sucks. OBJ, 23 passes. He had caught 319 yards, three touchdowns. 
Browns, I'm still shocked they're five and two, Mike. I, I think they're going to come back down to earth. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. Your reaction to OBJ and the injury? Look, OBJ had 35 touchdowns in his first three seasons of the National Football League. He took the NFL by storm. Since then, he's had six t- 16 touchdown passes. He hasn't been the same playmaker that he was, and, and he's still a good player. And I, I think he's one of those guys that that they can overcome. I mean, they're going to be able to find guys, and and they'll be able to. Uh, to, to fill his shoes. They, you know, he's still a good player. They're not going to be able to get away from all the things that, that he's doing in terms of what he brings to the table. But I think the reality of it is, is they'll be able to, uh, they'll be able to overcome it and they can move forward. So, you know, it's unfortunate, you know, Baker's always going to throw things that are just, you know, Baker, you know, look, Baker is a guy that has a hard time, especially when, you know, when he's in a game and he can't see. And so like, you know, this year he's got 24 passes broken up, you know, they're five and two, that's seven. So that he's improved that area. He's cut that down to three. He used to average six a game. Now they've cut it down. Why have they cut that number down? They've cut that number down because they're booting him a lot. They're keeping him out of the pocket. They're keeping him away from the pocket and they're keeping him from having to be in shotgun as much. He's doing more play action, which is smart on their part. And I give him a lot of credit. I think they got a chance to make the playoffs, AD. I really do. But like this week, when we talk about it in the pick segment, I think this is going to be a hard game for them. Yeah, they've done a good job of winning games they should win. I mean, last week was a bit of a mess. They came back against the Bengals. But yes, they did win the game 37-34 at 5-2. and two. They certainly are in the mix right now. Coming up next, huge AFC matchup. Big Ben, Lamar Jackson, AFC North up for grabs. Plus, Tua going to make his first NFL start for the Dolphins. Plus, we talked to journalist Tim Livingston. His new podcast called Whistleblower. It's about the biggest scandal in NBA history. Do not go anywhere. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, and now it's time for some picks. Once again, as Mike has made clear the last couple of weeks, his official picks are on his Twitter and Instagram. So go to M Lombardi NFL Sunday morning. You want to get your picks in, of course, get that done. Uh, of course, we are going to talk about these games. Michael tells where he's leaning at least. And last week, Mike, you were 9-9-1 against the spread on the season. Back to 500. How was your record after week seven? Well, I was three. Actually, I was four and two. I gave on the McAfee pod. I, I gave the, the Chargers. But I was three and two. Got killed by the Brownies, missing that extra point or else I was four and one. So I feel better about my picks. I really do. I'm still nervous about 
the, given a pick out too early in the week, but I'm feeling like my lines are coming together. Last week, my numbers on my power rankings ended up being 14 and two. Uh, and the only game that really I, I messed up on was the was the Patriot game, and and the uh, and the Chicago and the Chicago game at the last. And really, Cleveland Cleveland was it was a three. Some people had three. I had three and a half. But, you know, that was a missed field goal. I don't think you, when you lose a game because a guy misses an extra point, that isn't because you handicapped it wrong. That's just because you had bad luck. So I think we're in better shape this week. We're getting ready to move into the second half of the season. I feel comfortable with it. So we'll hopefully we'll make some people some money with it. Absolutely. The good news is this. Like I said, you're over 500 now on the picks and check the most up-to-date betting lines by using the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Cannot wait. Steelers and Ravens. 6-0 Pittsburgh. 5-1 Baltimore. Sunday, 1 o'clock Eastern on CBS. Roethlisberger and the Steelers were up big against the Titans, and then it was 27-24. Guskowski misses a 45-yarder, and Pittsburgh holds on for the win, but they might be the best team in football. And I got the Ravens with Lamar Jackson against that Steelers defense. Against the Blitz, he's got a 78.1 total QBR. That's the third lowest in football. So you know the black and gold is going to blitz him. We'll see if Lamar can make some moves. What are you looking at here, Steelers and Ravens? Well, the last year, you know, the Ravens in the last year, I think they're 19 and four over the last two years. And the only team they couldn't run the football on last year and this year included were the Pittsburgh Steelers, the lowest yards per attempt rushing of any team they played. So they can't run it. Lamar struggled to throw the ball the last time against them. He got sacked. It's a hard game for Lamar. For him to win, he's got to throw the football. They're not going to run it and win. That You can't run the ball on the Steelers, just like Tennessee couldn't run the ball on them. You're not going to run the ball on the Steelers. What they're going to have to do is win the battle of field position, win the battle with their defense. Their defense with getting Ndokwe back, pressuring Ben, you know, taking away these receivers. They've got three good corners that can potentially do this. I think this is a nail-biting type game. I think it's back and forth. You know, the Ravens last year in Pittsburgh, excuse me, in 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 Pittsburgh went to overtime it went to overtime and the and the Ravens won by 3. It was a close game. The other game was in week 17. It really didn't matter. These games are typically always close. You got to favor the team that's getting the points typically in these games because they're always close one way or the other. You know, a lot of action has come in the line opened up at five and a half, believe it or not. It went right down to three and a half. There's some movement. But again, Sunday morning, I'll have a better handle on this. I lean now towards Pittsburgh, but I'll let you know Sunday morning. All right, leaning Pittsburgh for now. Official pick, like you said, Sunday. How about the Saints and the Bears? Four and two New Orleans right now. Kamara has been sensational for New Orleans. The Bears, they got a tough schedule now coming up. They could very quickly become four, five and four and go on a three-game losing streak. Their rushing offense is pitiful. They've been averaging 45 yards rushing of the last three or four games. What do you think against that Saints defense? Well, I, I think the wind, I think the one thing about the betting this weekend for listening to the pod, pay attention to the weather. Wind is going to be a huge factor. Wind will be a huge factor in Lake Erie, uh, in Green Bay, in Cleveland. It's going to be a huge factor in Buffalo. It's going to be a huge factor in Baltimore. And, you know, quarterbacks, when they wake up in the morning, they don't care about the rain, they care about the wind. So that's really got you got to keep you concerned. So for me, this is one of those games where the Drew Brees with a lot of wind against a good defense that could rush the passer. I think they're going, the Bears are going to put a lot of pressure on them. Now, I worry about the Bears' offense because it's horrible and the Saints' defense, but the Saints give up a lot of yards. They do. I mean, last week, the Panthers are throwing the ball. They got a chance to tie the game or go in front. 
and you know they missed that long, long field goal. My numbers say right now I have it as a 4.37 game. The number uh, that's out there is four. So once again, Sunday morning, I'll update it. I would lean towards Chicago here just based on the numbers, but it's really close. Okay, next up, the 49ers and the Seahawks. And San Francisco, an incredible performance against the Patriots. They outcoached, they outplayed them, did everything they had to do as they knocked out the Patriots a week ago. They're now a 4-3 team taking on the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks finally had their first blemish of the year as Kyler Murray and the Cardinals got the better of Russell Wilson and company. Seattle's at home, and this is a great NFC West matchup. Who do you like, Mike, Niners or Seahawks? Well, you know, for me, this game always is about turnovers, and the team that protects the football the best is Seattle. Seattle's had one game of the last four where they've turned it over, one game, three times. That was the game they won in overtime, believe it or not. Every other game, they don't turn the ball over. They protect the football against them. And what's really remarkable, when you go back and watch the games, the 49ers have only run the ball over 100 yards one time against a bad Seattle. And Seattle's defense was bad last year. Now, we know it's bad this year, but it was bad last year. So, you know, everybody says, well, they're going to come in and dominate the ground game. I think that's a little challenging. I think when you break this game down, uh, you know, Seattle is used to playing in in these kind of close games. They do it all the time. I have it as a 1.68 game. With Seattle should be the favorite, the Lions three, which means I should take San Francisco. I once again not going with not going against Russell Wilson. He scares me to death. So I think it'll be. This is all about turnovers, and the one team that does turn the ball over is Jimmy Garoppolo. I think he will turn the ball over in this game. So with that being said, you know I think Seattle. That's why they're able to win this game and stay in it because they don't turn it over. They just don't turn it over. San Francisco's turned it over seven times. Seattle's only turned it over. Uh, over only turned it over three times. Seattle with a win would improve to six and one. Rams five and two. Dolphins three and three. Big news here: Tua Tungavailoa's first start. How do you think he fares against the Rams coming off a bye? Miami is. So he's had time to prep. I think he'll be. I think they'll be able to give him some successful throws. I think the first half will be good if he get him going. They'll move him out of the pocket. They'll roll him around. They'll make him uh, have some easy high low throws where it's either you throw it here, throw it there, or take off. Uh, I think this Miami defense is pretty good. I think they'll put pressure on Goff. I really do. I think they're going to put pressure on Goff. It's another, it's a long trip for, for the Rams. You know, it's a long trip for them to come back. They're going to have to beat man-to-man coverage here, and they're going to have to be able to defeat this front that comes after you. I think Miami's playing pretty good. The last few weeks, Miami has played well. They haven't turned the ball over. They've been able to, you know, run the football. I mean, Fitzy. Now, it's hard to predict this game because what is Tua going to do? That's the question mark. I, I took it off. I eliminated it as one of the games to pick because I think it's hard, but it's going to be fun to watch Tua. It's going to be fun to see Tua take a hit and get up. That's what's really going to be. How does he handle the physicality of the NFL? That's what I'm excited to see. All right, so no official pick there. Like you said, it'll be fun to actually watch him getting his first start, limited action in his first appearance a week ago before the bye. Cowboys and Eagles, Sunday night football, a 2-5 and five Dallas team and 2-4-1 Eagles team. Philadelphia, when we last saw them, they won on Thursday night against the Giants. A nice comeback from Carson Wentz, uh, winning touched in there to Boston Scott and Dallas as we discussed earlier horrific defense head coach Mike McCarthy said that Andy Dalton will not participate Thursday's practice uh, we're recording this on a Thursday Ben DiNucci is the backup quarterback so for all intents and purposes Don Finucci is going to be the guy you got to be picking Eagles here right Mike I guess it depends on the line well, the line's nine, and I would go Eagles here. I'd recommend that. I mean, I, I don't see how they couldn't score with Dalton in the game when they played when they played Washington. 
Washington's defensive front killed them. The problem with Dallas is their tackles are are horrible. You know, they lose they lose Collins, they lose Smith. You know, they've got Cam Ewing playing left tackle. They've got a Steele playing right tackle. They didn't have Zach Martin. I mean, the quarterback's going to get killed, and and Schwartz is going to be able to put pressure on him. And I think with Malik Jackson, Fletcher Cox, and everybody that plays for Derek Barnett and you know Vinnie Curry and the rushers, I think the Eagles dominate this game, and then they're going to go against a bad a bad Dallas team. I think this is a 27 to three kind of game. Yeah. I listen, I think the Eagles win handily. So um, God, it's tough right now to be a Dallas Cowboys fan. And last one I want to mention, this is just for our own amusement here. Jets and Chiefs, the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Uh, when you look at the line on this one, currently listed as 19 and a half point favorites over the Jets. Money line at minus 2000 for KC plus 1150 for the Jets. Over under at 49. I just think in terms of gambling terms, Mike, at one point I saw, I think when it first opened, the Chiefs were listed at like 21 and a half point favorites. And a friend of mine was like, oh, dude, jump on the Jets. Like they're gonna, not going to lose by three touchdowns. With a 19 and a half point favorite, what do you think in terms of a handicapping? I'd be scared. You know, my numbers say it, but my numbers on some of these games are, or especially the games against bad team. Like my numbers on the Giants-Tampa game, it should be 15 and a half. Well, they can't set the line at 15 and a half. It doesn't make sense. Now the line is, the line's 12. The line is 12. So it opened at 10 and a half and it went to 12. So, you know, they're coming close. That's the one thing about these lines. It's fascinating. When I do my power rankings, when I do them, I put my line down and I put the the, the DraftKings line next to it. Then I watch how it moves. So I'm able to see it. And, and by the end of the week, the numbers kind of come together and I can kind of get a better handle on where I think the numbers should be. This one, I would never give the, I would never bet against the Chiefs in this one because, you know, let's face it. I mean, that, uh, uh, the Crowder's not going to play the receiver. I mean, Darnold's prone to make mistakes. This this Kansas City defense is good at creating mistakes. So, you know, I, I know it's a lot of points, but the NFL, this is 2020. Nothing makes sense anymore. <laughs> Amen to that. Jets are going to be 0-8. Just depends on how many points they lose by against Kansas City. Once again, for all the picks Sunday morning, check out M. Lombardi NFL. Same as his Twitter handle. You can also follow our show's Instagram page at the GM Shuffle, and you can follow me at Adnan S. Ver. Stay tuned. Coming up, we'll talk to sports journalist Tim Livingston. His amazing new podcast, Whistleblower, the eight-year odyssey, finding the truth at the heart of the biggest scandal in NBA history. Tim is terrific. You're going to want to listen to this. All right, as we wrap up here on the GM Shuffle, honestly, we got to talk to Tim Livingston. At Tim Likes Sports on Twitter, he... From Tenderfoot TV's latest podcast, produced in partnership with Cadence 13, has produced an incredible podcast called Whistleblower. Mike's a huge fan of it. He alerted me to it. And what's it about? Yes, that scandal when NBA referee Tim Donaghy bet on games. He officiated the FBI, investigated him. Donaghy admitted to betting on games that he refereed. His public stance has always been the same. He did not fix games. But Livingston, eight years of investigating this case. It's absolutely a must-listen. Rasheed Wallace, Nate Robinson, George Carl. Donahue himself, it's absolutely incredible, and it's a pleasure to have Tim with us right now here on the GM Shuffle. Tim, what was it about this subject that you felt compelled that you wanted to investigate? I think this this really goes back for me probably to when I was like five years old. I, I used to, I was like a little hothead basketball player who would complain about referees, uh, according to my parents, as far back as when I was like five or six years old. And then as I got older, I realized that referees are human. And... When I was like 12 or 13, I realized that if they, first off, they don't want to be there. They have a really, the vocation as a whole is pretty miserable. 
But if you if you're nice to them, if you shoot it with them a little bit, if you you know make them feel like they're they're part of the game and special, then they start to give you calls. So I've been I've been I guess fascinated about the manipulation of referees for my entire life. As far as this story goes and the NBA, the the two series we investigate, the 2002 Western Conference Finals between the Kings and the Lakers and the 2006 NBA Finals between the Mavericks and the Heat, watching those games as a basketball fan, it was it was just so those two series are I think the the true catalyst for this journey because they were so egregious, so terribly officiated and it was so infuriating as a basketball fan. And I knew, I knew in my gut that there was more here, that these weren't, this wasn't an example of referees having bad games. Like this, that's not what was happening here. So I think it's, it's a lifelong obsession, but it's also really in those two series. Um, those were so bad that those watching those games really kicked it off for me. You know, when I was, uh, when I was, uh, Larry from Cadence got me turned on to it. He said, you got to listen to this. It's incredible. And I, and I started and, and when I started listening to it, I thought about what I was watch games. And if Bennett Salvatore get a game, I was like, there's no chance, like just give up. And I can remember Larry Brown saying, uh, you know, he hated Bennett Salvatore, he made it no, made no bones about it. And then as I'm listening to it and as you guys are building the case, you know, I'm like, yeah, that this is why I didn't, this is why I hated certain guys in the league. And then, so when you started this, they always say never begin with the end in mind. Did you have an ending in mind or was this just collecting data all the way? It's a great question. I will say for the first time publicly, our finale aired today and we had we had a pretty thorough outline. I've been researching this for a long time. So episodes one through nine, we knew exactly where we we're going. A lot changed during the season. I mean, our Mark Cuban episode changed several times. Like we had a rough outline, but it was really week by week, finding out more and more and incorporating that into the story. And our final episode, which came out today, we produced in five days. I, had, I knew which themes I wanted to hit. And the big one is that I think no matter who you are, what walk of life, our country right now, there's, just, there's no trust. We don't trust our systems. We don't trust our politicians. We don't trust you know, the systems that are supposed to keep us safe. And, the sport, and sports are a microcosm of that. And basketball was such an obvious, such an obvious microcosm that I really wanted to explore that. Um, I wanted to explore the media and its role in this. Um, as we get into, the NBA leaked the news of the scandal to thwart an FBI investigation. How insane is that? How brilliant and cunning is that? And also, the media is, a, is another thing that we societally, you know, it's a big issue right now, as, as I think we can all agree. So... I knew where I knew where we wanted to end up from a thematic standpoint. Um, as far as the investigation goes, I, I had a lot of it mapped out. But man, we found out more and more along the way. We put more and more pieces together, and it was it was really just incredible. It's incredible to be here today, where it's done, and look back at what we revealed, and and know that it was you know that that this was all out there, and we put the pieces together, hopefully in a really compelling way that. Um, you know, might lead to some sort of change in the NBA or in sports in general. Talking to Tim Livingston right now. Once again, the name of the podcast is Whistleblower. Make sure you check it out. It's fascinating. George Carl, one of the people that you spoke to, I interviewed George a few times. I was at ESPN, did a couple NBA shows here and there. Always liked him a lot, Tim, because he was very caustic and very honest. And as you know, oftentimes coaches are not like that because they're trying to get back in the league and players are always very hemming and hawing. But George, either, you know, we were watching games, to be pretty blunt. And on the 
here. He was able to cut, keep that blunt edge as well. We know what he said about Carmelo Anthony and so on and so forth. I think it's important if a coach like him, a part of whistleblower. What did you glean from George? Uh, George is the perfect guy. I mean, we we talked to when we were targeting um, athletes and coaches, Rashid Wallace and George Carl were the two that I really wanted. And we were lucky enough to get both. But I've talked, I've met Coach Carl um, once before I interviewed him for this podcast. And it was the same thing. I was like, man, this guy's got stories. And he was so open. And one thing that's fascinating that I gleaned from George Carl in our time together was the idea that, you know, Phil Jackson won 11 titles and is considered the greatest coach in NBA history, uh, with Arbach obviously being 1A or 1B next to him. So George Carl, you know, won over a thousand games, had all these great teams, but he was the victim in that in the 1993 Western Conference Finals game seven, uh, as we reveal on the podcast, he was he coached the game where the opposing team shot 64 free throws and his team shot 36 and they lost to Charles Barkley with, as we suggest, the idea that the NBA wanted the Suns to be in the finals and not the Sonics. In 2001 with the Bucks, he lost a series which uh, a lot of people felt like you know, the, the Sixers, the, the league wanted Allen Iverson, the Sixers to be there and not the Bucks, not the small market Bucks. So you look at George Carl, he's just such an interesting guy because he is, uh, I don't know, as you say, I mean, he's so open. He's so not afraid to say um, what, he, what he feels, and that's so rare. But he also got screwed on multiple occasions. And so getting Carl was a, was a huge coup for us. And it really just opens your eyes. Like coaches knew, players knew. These, these guys knew what was going on. They weren't, they weren't totally naive. They didn't, this was a business and they knew what was happening, but they were helpless to stop it. And that's what's fascinating when you look at coaches and players and, and the role that they play in this. They worked their entire lives to get, to get to this place and it's taken from them. I mean, that's tragic. You know, when I'm listening to it, when I'm walking, of course, Bella had a bark in the background because she's every time I walk her, I'm listening to this. So she wanted to make her presence known in this podcast. But the, when I'm listening to it, one of my favorite movies of all time is JFK. And there's so many lines in JFK that I was thinking of. And for me, Donahue in this in this podcast is really Lee Harvey Oswald. And as the great Walter Matthau tells Kevin Costner on the airplane as they're sitting next to each other, what did Oswald say? I'm just a patsy. You know, that's kind of how I felt like Donahue was project portrayed. And then as I'm listening to it, one of our personal favorites here at GM the GM Shuffle, uh, Joe Pesci, his character in JFK says, it's just a mystery wrapped in a riddle. Mm. And that's what this whole thing feels like. Like you might have, you got, you got, you got Donahue out there, but there's another layer upon layer upon layer. And the, the, and I don't want to spoil it, but the Cuban email back to you was, holy shit. Seriously, that's his answer. And so like, do you think you're ever going to get Cuban to talk to you? I really hope so. I'm, I'm not optimistic about ever getting Scott Foster, Dick Pavetta, or Joey Crawford, or Bennett Salvatore. I don't think any of those guys are ever going to say a word. Ed Rush, too. You ain't getting Ed Rush to talk no. to you, too. But, oh, the other thing, I, the, and after you answer that, I wanted, the other question I want to ask you, answer, I want you to answer is, is, is Phil Scalia the perfect guy in the next Mafia movie that needs to be in the movie? Like, that interview at the diner, oh. 
that interview at the diner, I could hear the coffee cups clinging. I could, I could almost see De Niro at the payphone. I could almost see Tony sitting there with the three, with the three Tony picture, with the, with the, with the Rat Pack picture. Like, is, is he the perfect guy for the next mafia movie? Go ahead. Well, I'm going to send Phil Scala this clip because we talked a little bit before about, about just his, I, he's been recruited to tell mafia movies before. I think people in Hollywood know who he is and know the stories that he has. And I, he was telling me stuff, Mike, that I was like, Phil, you got, this is an HBO series in like the last five minutes. What are you doing? Like the guy is, he's an Oracle. He's so, he's so freaking interesting and so wise, but he has stories for days. I'm probably the least interesting person he's ever sat down with in that diner by far. And he's still in, you know, the hour plus that we sat together offered just an absolute, it was, I don't want to give too much away, but it was mind blowing, right? I might want to go to this diner. What was the diner you say? It was in Howard Beach, right? What was the diner? It's at the Cross Bay Diner. The Cross Bay Diner. It's just, you know, AD, just so you know, I think when you leave Howard Beach, if you go out of Howard Beach towards towards Kennedy Airport, that's the, you cross a toll plaza there. I believe I'm right here. I think that's the, that's where Sonny got shot. <laughs> that's unbelievable. Yeah, that's right. Speaking of the mob ties, Michael Imperioli, listen, every episode of the GM Shuffle, we're always talking with the Sopranos. The fact you got Imperioli here, Tim, like fantastic. I mean, listen, there's obviously mob elements here. You got Michael Francesi, the uh, mob capo as well involved. I mean, tell me about Imperioli. I love the fact that it's his voice we're listening to. Imperioli was so much fun to work with and was such the perfect character. We, we basically brought him in as a device, a trusted voice to explain details, you know, uh, gambling, and details about the scheme, you know, that stuff that if I was saying it as the narrator, you'd probably gloss over, but are really important. Those really important details, we brought in Michael Imperioli to explain that to the audience. And the guy, you know, I think the three of us that are talking right now could probably listen to Michael Imperioli talk for hours upon hours upon hours. And he was just so perfect. And he is, he was fantastic to work with, the most down-to-earth guy you could ever imagine. I think, and I think Imperioli is having a renaissance. Because with with the pandemic, I think everybody has rewatched The Sopranos at least once, and Imperioli, they're just realizing how great he was as Christopher. And man, he was he was so much fun to work with. I can't say enough good things about Michael. Did you have the urge to ask him if he did number two in his pants? Did you have any of that <laughs> urge to do that? Because like that, that might be the one question I would ask. Is it true you did number two in your pants? I feel comfortable enough. Next time I might. I might get that answer for you. He told us some crazy NBA stuff too. Like, I mean, he's a big Knicks fan and, um, you know, he's been, the Knicks have flown him out for recruiting trips before. Um, he's, he's a really interesting character, but I did not ask him that. We did play with the idea because we're talking about informants because um, Donahue was going to wire up. He was going to become an informant and that's what we get into in the podcast. But if Tim Donahue during this scandal, and this um, goes back, Mike, to the, the JFK, Lee Harvey Oswald, if Tim Donahue wired up and made 100 phone calls to his NBA comrades, the NBA would have turned into w- the WWF. It was going to be exposed as something where the outcomes were consistently manipulated um, for monetary gain. That, that would have happened, but he wasn't allowed to do that. So we're talking about informants, and we were going to incorporate a line about Adriana for Michael and for people that know the Sopranos know what I'm, what we're referring to there. But we ultimately backed off. I think Michael would have done it. He was such an easygoing guy that even if we wrote in a terrible, terrible line that referenced his old TV show, I think he would have been a 
been a pro about it, but no, I'll ask about the number two next time though, for sure. (laughs) I love it. Thanks, Tim. It's awesome. I mean, look, I could, I, I, it's entertaining. It's engaging. Like I said, it's got that, it's got that JFK feel to it where you're dealing with facts. I mean, you're not making like, I know people say the JFK thing's not, well, you know, go to New Orleans and, and go to camps, camp and Lafayette street and see where, you know, a guy Bannister worked out of, you know, go look up, go look up operation mongoose on the line. I mean, you can say it's all fake, but then there's so much you can look up and say that maybe go find the umbrella. It's the same thing with this story. When you listen to it, it's so compelling. And it's remarkable, the powers of the NBA to really to to squash it and to just kind of self-contain it to Lee Harvey Oswald. And if we learned anything in this country is there is what what Walter Matthau said as that character, a patsy. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. You know, now that we finished the podcast, it's also been interesting. You know, ESPN, who I thought would completely shy away from this. Um, you know, Dan Levitard seems to be really interested in it and really excited about the journalism that that we were able to accomplish um, and the reporting that we were able to do, um, and Dan Patrick uh, as well. So, what's been interesting is you know the media it, at least is giving this some attention. Um, there's been a lot of entities that haven't picked it up yet, and I don't know if they will. But it is interesting that we just proved, and our numbers are great. There's a ton of people listening to this. But we just proved that the NBA was essentially corrupt. And we just proved that the Donahue scandal was infinitely bigger than any of us could have previously imagined. And the NBA hasn't had to make a comment. The NBA hasn't had to say anything. So I, I'm just interested. I'm like, are enough people going to listen to this? And NBA fans specifically to where we're going to say like, hey, Adam, you got can we talk about the referees? Can we, can we talk about Scott Foster? Can we talk about these guys? I don't know. I'm really interested because, I mean, I'm sitting here now. We just finished. I know these things have a long tail and they they kind of take a while. But I'm like, man, we just proved that the NBA was a really dark place, and they've gotten better, but they still got a long way to go. Are we really gonna, you know, are we gonna talk about this on a bigger scale? I don't know. Well, it's certainly a fascinating subject matter the way you've taken it apart. Tenderfoot TV's latest podcast, Whistleblower, produced in partnership with Cadence 13. An incredible job by Tim Livingston. Once again, you can follow him on Twitter at Tim Like Sports. You mentioned ESPN showing interest. Listen, Levitard, as you know, is about as anti-establishment as it gets. So I love that Dan is all in. He's the best. If he can get on the jump, that will be a real lesson that ESPN has taken this as seriously as they should be, Rachel Nichols and company. But we appreciate you coming on the GM Shuffle here, Tim. Great, great stuff and really appreciate you taking some time with us. Awesome. Thank you uh, so much for having me on, guys. Thanks, guys. All right. Once again, thanks again to Tim Livingston. Check out all the great podcasts there on Cadence 13. For Michael Lombardi, I'm Adnan Burke. We will talk to you on Monday. Enjoy all the games here in Week 8.